Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Hi there and thanks for joining us. Nice to be back with you after a bit of a summer break. Lots to come on this episode of Red Business. We're going to talk about craft and design and we're also going to talk about the Cork businessman who's sorting out jobs for Ukrainian refugees. But our first guest today is an ideal one to kick off the new season of Red Business. See what it did there. Combining as it does the great subjects of soccer and business in this fine city. He's here to tell us about one of the biggest items on his to-do list at the moment, commercial manager at Cork City FC, Paul DC. How are you? I'm good, Jonathan. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Ah, It's brilliant to have you. I mean, you guys are doing really well at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, look, we're uh, we're sitting top of the table now at the moment, four points clear. So I'm sure if you offer the the Colin and the players and the the rest of the club at the start of the season, they'd probably take your hand off, you know. So looking forward to the running now. Absolutely, and of course, it's it's great that you know the it it continued throughout the summer season, and the crowds have been really sticking with you. Obviously, getting back down to the first division wasn't where the club wanted to be, but the good old people down the shed end haven't deserted you. No, geez, it's been the complete opposite, being honest, especially, you know, after COVID and stuff like that, you, you, you're not sure kind of what way things are going to go or whatever, but people coming back out in the boat, but we've been blown away by the, the support, you know, even even before the season, we got a good inclination because, uh, you know, the season tickets for sales were going really, really good, they were really strong, so we were hopeful of a good, consistent crowd throughout the season, and thankfully it's turned out that way. I think we're averaging around 3,500 per game which is, you know, it's the second highest um, between the Premier and the First Division, like, you know, which just goes to show the the magnitude of the club. And like, it just goes to show, like, a couple of weeks ago, we played Galway at home there in a, in a crunch game, and like, there was nearly 6,500 people there, which is phenomenal, like, you know, for any League of Ireland game, never mind the First Division game, like, yeah. Now, of course, the, it's the job of the manager and the team to uh, do the business on the pitch, but your job is about bringing revenue in through strategies on off the pitch so I mean yours is a very complimentary role so tell us about what you do yeah I'm always saying not to Colin that my role is much tougher than his role but he doesn't <laughs> believe me um, no yes so look I, I'm the commercial manager I suppose plain and simply I kind of look after um, the areas that kind of bring in and drive revenue on the off the field side of the club obviously if the ticket sales and the season tickets would be the kind of, I suppose you'd relate them to the on the field stuff but anything that kind of relates to off the field stuff so um, the sponsorship um, fundraising we have a, a, a store in Douglas Village we have an online store you know, all the fundraisers we've done like win a car we have a golf classic coming up and stuff like that so um, yeah look it's it's a small team within Cork City there's uh, five or six of us there that work in kind of in different areas and off the field stuff so we all kind of cross paths and stuff like that but um, yeah in, in, a, in an easy sense I suppose like kind of try to drive the revenues on the off-field side of the club. One of the big things, of course, would be the shirt sponsorship. Um, and I think you're coming to the end of the current deal. So are you in the market for a new sponsor right now? Yeah, so we've had a fantastic relationship with the UCC there going back, stemming back many years, but they, they've been primarily on the front of the shirt for the last five or six years. And, and that's kind of run its course now, I suppose. And it's coming to an end uh, towards the end of this season, the end of the 2022 season. So for the 2023 season on, we're looking for a kind of a main sponsor uh, for the front of the shirt. So um, we've been working with uh, Core Media there closely with them to, um, you know, to, to do a lot of 
work uh, behind the scenes on the on, on the short and putting decks together and getting valuations and stuff like that and, and putting it out to the market so we're kind of it's out to the market now at the moment and we're getting a very positive feedback and you know we've had a lot of people getting in touch with us and um, we're kind of I suppose in negotiations now with a few parties but um, as I said look it's still out there to the, to to the demand and the opened offers as they say Yeah and how, how long does it normally take to conclude a deal like that will you have it in place for the next season? Yeah, well, that's the hope, really. I suppose. Look, you can you can never give guarantees over anything like that until it's actually signed, sealed, and delivered. But um, we're hoping to get something in place pretty quickly because I suppose it has a couple of knock-on implications in regards to you know retail jerseys that we'd like to have on our shelves for um kind of the end of November time, heading into the Christmas market and stuff like that. So yeah, ideally, it'd probably want to be done and dusted in the next kind of six to eight weeks at the most, like you know. But we'd be pretty confident that uh, that it would be done. So, but as I said, on until it's signed, sealed and delivered, you, you can't give a guarantee on that, like, you know. Are, are there are there criteria around it? Like, could some fellow with a load of money put a picture of his face on the front of all the Cork City players? Or, I mean, do, do you do you have control over what goes on? Is it Does it have to be a logo mm-hmm. under the rules? Uh, well, I, yeah, look, look, I suppose common sense probably comes into that one. Like, you know, I know there is kind of rules and regulations around um, with, with, with Forrest and the owner entity that uh, that own the club um, in around, you know, gaming partners and stuff like that. So um, outside of that, look, it's been a great fit with UCC, obviously the type of entity they are in the community and, you know, in the Cork public and it's such a, uh, an iconic entity in Cork. It was a great fit with ourselves. Like, you know, so it's uh, we'd be looking for something you know that would be the right fit I suppose look it have to be the right fit on our side and it have to be the right fit on their side by no means we would would we take anyone but again look it's uh, it's uh, money talks at the end of the day so yeah. it has to be kind of right from all angles so you're, you're, you're not ruling out that my head will be on the front of the jersey I'm, that's what I'm <laughs> taking from this part of the conversation right uh, Paul tell us about the Junior Academy because that's been going really well for you guys as well yeah, so another thing that we're kind of pushing to next season that we've kind of put together is a community partner. You know, the, the community partner or the community side of the club is very, very strong. Like, you know, as and that's the Junior Academy is part of it. We've we launched it back in October. It was kind of a, a brainchild of my own because, um, look, I have two kids who are mad into football and I suppose it stems from a lot of kids football and sports and stuff like that are kind of going down that route you don't see as many kids I suppose out kicking ball on the streets anymore for, for for many reasons I suppose and look my own kids probably the same everything is kind of organised trainings and matches and stuff like that so look I felt there was probably a gap in the market there to, to open an academy maybe for kind of I suppose what would you call coachable age groups between 7 and 14 and we run it every Sunday between 6 and 8 up in Musgrave Park which is a fantastic facility in, in the great location and I think now we're up to over 450 sign-ups since October so it's after absolutely exploding and it, it's it's gone so well that um, we've actually opened another branch in in West Cork um, in Skibreen there since the, the 1st of June so thankfully that's going that's going well as well and you know it's the summer period so the boat can hit a little bit of a lull but they've run throughout the summer and they're still going really well and then I think in the school period again it'll really pick up again because look it, it, it's it's the boys and girls between the ages seven to fourteen. It's um, it, we take kids of all abilities, so there's no streaming or there's no you know your kids good enough or not good enough. We know we take everyone and we cater for everyone, so that's a key aspect of the villain. Look, it, it adds as I said. Look, there's four hundred fifty over four hundred fifty families. I suppose have signed up to it since since the beginning, and you know that's just another branch for the club, another stronghold, and then obviously. 
I think we've had over 500 kids on our Corky camps for the summer within a similar age range. We know we do school visits, we do food runs, you know, there's, there's loads of different um, elements to the yeah. community aspect of the club that I think a, 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 a good fit sponsor could come on board and really utilise that as well. Like you know, I, I love the way Corky is still going, by the way. It's a, he, he's definitely yeah. the one thing I think of when I think of Turner's Cross. Finally, Paul, yeah. um, w- w- your job is not easy, right? Because you have to bring in uh, value to the club. You have to make sure that the money is there to keep the doors open, the lights on at the cross. The League of Ireland has been traditionally played by uncertainty as to whether or not clubs like Cork City have a future. So in that way, it, it, it must be more challenging than commercial jobs in other sectors, is it? Yeah, it is. And I suppose I was actually think, just thinking about that before I came on with you because I suppose, look, it's a, it's, it's a bit of a strange one because I suppose if you're, a, say, a commercial manager of another company in another industry, you probably have a bit of control over your product or over your service, whereas I suppose with a football club, you're totally and utterly detrimental to the to results on the pitch and how the team goes and stuff like that. Like, you know, because, you know, it swings one way, it's all positive one week and then the results and all and there's negativity, you know, it's, it's just, and that's just sport and that's football and stuff like that. So it can be challenging like that. But look, I think we are, we have over 100 sponsors between, you know, the, the, the club, the first team, the, the academy teams, the women's teams. We have some fantastic sponsors and a lot of those sponsors have been with us for, for, for a number of years or they stay with us for a number of years and, and they've been really good. Like, you know, even when the club went through a lot of tough times there, they, they still saw the potential in the club, you know, the fan base alone, you know, it's it's in all the major newspapers in Cork, you know, on the back pages every week and stuff like that. It's an, it's a huge, huge brand. Like, you know, you ask anyone all over Ireland, never mind Cork City, about the club and they, they'll know about it. Like, you know, so it has a huge pulling power, even in the shop there. I'd say nearly 30, 40% of our orders come from overseas in the UK, Europe, uh, the US, Canada, and, and fair of Australia. And it's, it's just crazy, like, you know, the diaspora that the club has and the fan base that it has. It's a, it's an absolutely massive, massive. And sometimes you probably need to be in it to realise actually how big the club actually is. Like, you know, it's it's, it's great. And as I said, the, between the t- season ticket sales, the crowds at the games, it's it, it, it helps in that sense. Like, okay. you know, so it kind of, even if the team isn't doing so well, that's all still always there to, to back it up, like, you know. Well, having said that, you are doing well. Uh, so regards yeah. to Colin and the lads and also to Corky and, and Keeper Lit. And <laughs> fingers crossed uh, we're back up next season and Cork City will be uh, looking to get into Europe, making your job easier again. Paul DC, Commercial Manager of Cork City FC. Thanks so much for joining us on Red Business. Many thanks for having me, Jonathan. I really appreciate it. If you're a regular Red Business listener, you'll remember us speaking to our next guest back in March. And at that point, he was donating his company's technology to support multilingual meetings by allowing interpreters to tune in remotely. Since then... Alex Chernenko of Translit, whose company is based here in Cork, has stepped up his support for refugees coming here even more. Alex, you're welcome back to Red Business. Jonathan, thank you for having me. It's been a real roller coaster, I'd imagine, for you because your business has been trading and doing very well, but also you, you, you've been helping your, your fellow country people whose lives have been thrown into chaos. Yes, it's been it's been a busy couple of months, and what I can say that uh, we we were glad to help initially by donating some of the services, but we realized that the demand is so big, and there is essentially not that many volunteers and translators. So there is a huge shortage in Ireland at the moment 
of, of actually Ukrainian interpreters. And believe it or not, but on the Irish uh, translators interpreter station, there is only five Ukrainian uh, translators registered. So we saw a gap and uh, a new initiative that uh, our team, it wasn't my idea, uh, I, I will give a credit to Svetlana Farrell, who is the head of our training division. You know, we came up with this idea to actually train uh, interpreters uh, for for to to tackle this uh, Ukrainian refugee crisis, and this initiative was picked up by a number of local authorities, and we see a very huge and positive response in 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 relation to the training that we have provided. So, who who are you training up then? If you have got um, this new pool of of translators, are they people who have come to Ireland to seek refuge? Yeah, it would be uh, some of the English teachers uh, that have arrived from Ukraine. It could be some uh, BA graduates. It could be, uh, again, just bilingual people who generally want to help. But the majority of them would be Ukrainian refugees that would have good conducts of English. They haven't necessarily been interpreting before. So what we do with our training is give them essentially core skills that they could do. They already started doing it with some volunteer organizations, but they haven't been trained and they haven't been doing it before. So we give them enough information to to kind of explore this skill and to help them do it right and as well, you know, create a, a better understanding between the listeners and, and the interpreters. Mm. It, it must be so disconcerting when you have to leave your home in circumstances like a war. Um, and and I, I would imagine for those who have taken on this role, it has given them a sense of purpose at a time when their lives were chaotic. Absolutely. People, people, people like helping other people. But what we also discover that when an interpreter uh, translates for somebody who has been subject to war, including themselves, they go through a traumatized experience. So it's not just about language skill and professional skill. It's also about, you know, well-being and, and mental capabilities of the interpreter not to take things in. And this is part of our training. We, we prepare uh, interpreters also to deal with processing uh, essentially information that could traumatize a, a regular person. So this is this is another critical aspect of making sure that the interpreters and the persons go through experience that doesn't affect them further, but actually creating some sort of barriers to tackle that. It, it's an incredible distance that you've travelled from a commercial entity set up to help translate, which is still a very successful business, to to the point at which you're helping people traumatised by war and helping them identify in others um, things that will be upsetting them that might otherwise be lost by those who are trying to help them. How appreciative have those local authorities been to have a service like this to, to break down that communication barrier? Yeah, it, it wouldn't have been possible without the funding. So we would like to say uh, thanks to Social Inclusion Community Activation Program, PSYCOP. They were originally finding the program and the first authority uh, that picked up and authorized it was Clare Local Development Company. They have one of the largest number of refugees that they're dealing with. Therefore, they were very interested to train their volunteers and interpreters. And we already uh, have reservations in Limerick, uh, Galway, uh, uh, and there was a third city that I, I, I'm not going to uh, mention at the moment because I'm not sure, but we already have essentially three cities with the local authorities there who sign up for programs in September. So Claire was the first one. Uh, the feedback responses both from interpreters and the authorities was very positive, and this is already going nationwide. Um, Alex, when you speak to your countrymen and women who have come here, 
um, like Ireland is a tourist destination that they might have come to otherwise. But when they get here, what has been their reaction um, at having to move to Ireland, to stay in Ireland, the response that they've received from the authorities, the welcome they've received from the people? What do they tell you? A huge gratitude. People were very, they felt very welcome. Uh, they felt uh, a huge support coming from so many different people, individuals, uh, authorities, even businesses. So uh, I, I've, I heard a lot of words of, of, of gratitude from, from people who were right. They've been, you know, some, some of them were very emotional. Uh, now some of the interpreters already integrated in, they started doing some volunteering themselves. They started uh, doing some jobs and upskilling. So essentially over over time, people people are are, are slowly being included into society, and once they get something to do, I think that gives them a, a sense of purpose. But on the other side, we've also seen some people who felt homesick, and now that they feel safe, we've seen some of the people returning back to Ukraine. Mm. And, and fingers crossed they will all get back there um, and, and resume their lives when this terrible war is over. Alex, what's the website uh, for Transit if people want to look up what you do and see if there is something for them on that on the service? Yeah, I would like to send a message that anybody who speaks a number of languages and wants to help become an interpreter, they could visit our website pro.translate.com or they could just email us at pro.translate.com and we can train interpreters or we can train interpreters of any organization, even if it's if, if they don't have experience. So we would be glad to, to help anybody who is interested to get into this language language industry. Okay, so pro.translate.com is your website address. Alex, it's it's brilliant what you've been doing. Do keep it up. Um, you're in a very unique group that has been on the podcast three times already. Alex Chernenko, CEO of Transit. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Jonathan, glad to be back. We'll hope to talk to you again soon. Now, if you haven't yet sampled some of the brilliant events and displays running as part of Cork Craft Month, you need to get your skates on because we're entering the final days of the festival. Where else would you get to choose from 50 events, including ceramic workshops, crochet flower demonstrations, spoon carving, rush rattle Reweaving, that's hard to say, and so many more. Enid Conway, Operations Manager with Cork Craft and Design, which runs Cork Craft Month, is with us. How are you doing, Enid? I'm not too bad. How are you? I'm good. Uh, what a what a month you had. I mean, the, did the weather help? It did. We were absolutely blessed. Like, we had um, a, a, a workshop day in Test Site in Curls Key there at the end of the Cold Key. And we were absolutely blessed with the weather. And it really added to the day, you know, clear skies. The sun was baiting down. It was a bit, bit too intense at times, I think. But, um, do you know, we won't complain. Yeah, I mean, well, it, it would have helped the battery dry out. We know that much, at least. And um, what <laughs> kind of things have people been drawn to this year? Really, people have been drawn to the workshops. The spaces in the workshops have been filling up fast. There's a few left now for the rest of the month, but we're really trying to, you know, kind of get them out there and get people uh, to kind of put their hands to something and try something new. So, like, we've seen such a good uptake this year. Um, Not everything, though, is practical. You don't have to get your hands dirty a lot of it. You have a lot of exhibitions going on as well. So what have people been going to see? So the Emerge exhibition in the Grand Parade gallery there, the MTU Grand Prix Gallery is um, an exhibition of um, early career 
uh, graduate designers based in Cork, which has been really popular. And it's such a popular launch opening night. Um, then there's the furniture exhibition in Douglas Shopping Centre um, that people have literally just been coming in and out of. Um, it's just it's a selection of um, kind of homeware and furniture and decorations and toys and things like predominantly made of wood and a few other bits in there. Um, that's been really popular as well. Of course, Heritage Week fell in the middle of it as well, and that gave you yes. an opportunity to have some heritage workshops. Yeah, that's right. Uh, in Chapel Hill uh, Art School in McCroom, um, there's lace making, there's traditional skep beehive um, talking about it. There's a uh, Padder O'Rida is talking about it, partially in Irish, I believe, which is, you know, a huge heritage value and then the lace making as well. Mm. Um, and when you look at a festival like this, obviously a month long, so ambitious in, in doing it that way, Edith, yes. but is it expensive to put all of this together and, and how do you manage to fund something like this? It is indeed. Now, we are so grateful to our funders, primarily the local enterprise offices. Um, we got a lot of help from the Cork County and Cork City Council. And then beyond our uh, kind of funders, we have loads of partnerships and sponsorships. And, you know, we collaborate with loads of organisations as well, such as like Bench Space, which is Ireland's first open access factory. Um, and Friends of the Crawford Gallery. Um, MTU, places like this. It's definitely like a collaborative effort between loads of different organisations and supporters. Yeah, and and of course, it, it's something that has run for a number of years. Post-COVID, and you couldn't have got better weather, and I suppose everybody yes. is delighted it's back in person. You did things online last year, as far as I remember, but I suppose it's not the same. It's, it's, it's a tactile experience, isn't it? It is. That's it. Like, do you know, it, it's it's about kind of seeing and doing and uh, putting your hand to something and trying things out. And, do you know, it's about storytelling as well. So it's about meeting makers and asking them what, do you know, how they came to craft or what the story is behind the piece that they made or like the area they're from and how the land informs the work they're making mm. um, as well. So like we did do some online events this year as well inside the Makers Studio. So those were directed by our coordinator, Grace Claro. And she went and visited the makers in their studios and recorded them uh, making work and like just talking about their process as well. So like, do you know, it is still kind of a bit hybrid, um, our festival, like, um, but yeah, the workshops and putting your hand to something and being able to meet the maker and coming to the exhibitions and seeing the work that's for sale and supporting makers by buying work is kind of yeah. primarily our our thing like <laughs> well look we wish you continued success with it not just this year but next year as well uh, there are Thank still you. events to go so how do people yes. find out about what is the website the website is corecraftanddesign.com there is a beautiful event happening in St. Peter's Church on North Main Street on Saturday from 11am to 4pm. There's live music, there's face painting, it's fun for all the family. There's a bustling market where you'll be able to see all of the disciplines represented by Core Craft and Design. Um, and it's just going to be like a really lovely okay. day. Corkcraftanddesign.com is the website address. Enid, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so Thank much you. for taking the time to talk to us. Enid Conway, the operations manager there at Cork Craft and Design. That is it from this particular episode of Red Business. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget you can listen back to every episode right now on redfm.ie where you can also find our Red Business In Focus video series as well. Kira McDonough was the producer and as always, we'll catch Catch you on the next one.
Get the Red Business Podcast every week with Jonathan Healy at redfm.ie and wherever you get your podcasts.